0: Welcome to Crime Spot, your podcast on organized crime. Today, the second episode of the special series on crimes on our oceans. With Leida Tochi, Fisheries Crime Focal Point from the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime. Music by the Outlaw Ocean Music Project.
1: Hello everyone and thanks for tuning in for a new episode of Crime Spot. In this podcast, we pick up on current trends, events of organized crime and look behind the scenes to better understand the impact of organized crime on our societies.
0: And today we are super happy to launch this second episode of our series on organized crime on our oceans. The first episode of this series contains a full interview with Ian Urbaner, investigative journalist, former New York Times writer and Pulitzer Prize winner. So if you haven't done so yet, make sure to check it out.
1: And in today's episode, we will be exploring the topic of organized crime on our oceans, more specifically pertaining to the infiltration of criminality in the fishing industry. Now, organized crime has long exploited the vastness and depth of the oceans to operate with relative impunity, escaping law enforcement detection, while at the same time exploiting the infrastructures and corridors built by maritime trade.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because I think we all grew up with these stories such as Blackbeard or the Pirates of the Caribbean, but there is a completely different set of criminalities taking place on our oceans that we rarely think of, really. And so today we're going to try and understand, in 2020, what type of crime or unlawfulness exists on our oceans. How does it affect us as individuals and as a society? And to help us better understand this phenomenon, we had the privilege of interviewing Leida Tochi.
1: Correct. So Leida works for the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, where she is a program officer for the Global Program for Combating Wildlife and Forest Crime. She's based at the UNODC headquarters in Vienna, and she coordinates the work on fisheries crime, including the delivery of both normative and technical assistance in Asia, Africa, Latin America and the Pacific.
0: Right. And so instead of making this entire episode an interview as we did last week, we will be using snippets of the interview with later along our discussion.
1: Exactly. But first let's talk about, well, our oceans for a bit, because I think it is really important to remind ourselves how, well, how simply we are dependent on our oceans and why our oceans are so important to all our lives, even for those of us who are land lovers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So just to give you a bit of context, oceans make up about 71% of the Earth's surface, and they are a crucial life support system for us. They are important players in regulating the global climate in that they not only mediate our temperature and regulate our weather, but also that they they are our largest storage of carbon.
1: And tempering with the oceans as we humans do by, for example, driving climate change is a dangerous game. Climate change will cause rising sea levels, changing ocean currents, and cause the sea ice sheets to melt, which adds to the already existing issues of overfishing, illegal fishing, pollutions, and so forth that we humans are causing.
0: And so we really depend on our oceans. This was highlighted in the State of the World Fisheries Report issued by the Food and Agricultural Organization. It highlights how We depend on the oceans, not only because of environmental consequences, but also for our economic livelihoods. Global fish production is on the rise for decades now, and it's amounted to an estimated 179 million tons in 2018, 88% of which goes into human consumption.
1: I can't even imagine such a big number. How much money are we talking here?
0: Well, if we're looking at first sale price, that would be more than 400 billion US dollars. Wow. Yeah, and consumption is on the rise since the 1960s. China is a major producer, accounting for roughly one-third of the total production. And globally, we estimate 59.5 million people engaged in primary sector of fisheries.
1: Do we know who are the main importing countries? I mean, I guess China is the main exporter, given that you said it's the main producer. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So China is the main exporter, followed by Norway and Vietnam. And at the moment, we only have data for 2018. But back then, the EU was the biggest importer, followed by the US and Japan.
1: And not only are we economically dependent on our oceans, but also for our diet. Globally, fish consumption accounts for roughly 17% of animal protein intake, and it makes up more than 20% with small island-developing states relying on it to even greater extents.
0: So if we're talking a bit about the trade now, because I think it's important to recall that maritime trade and fisheries in particular has provided a myriad of opportunities for organized crime groups to exploit. Shipping is the lifeblood of the global economy with an estimated 90% of world trade carried by the international shipping industry. So essentially... We all depend on maritime trade. And this means that any policy or response attempting to address the unlawfulness of the ocean will need to ensure that this response does not threaten the livelihoods of individuals nor the economies of states.
1: And unlawfulness here is, I believe, a good wording because for many years there has been this mindset of, you know, freedom of the seas and that the seas should not be subject to any kind of regulations. And this changed with the United Nations Law of the Sea Convention from 1982, which try to solve some key issues. For example, it has been established that a state's territorial sea boundary stops 12 nautical miles offshore. So that should be roughly 20 kilometers. And after this boundary, national laws do no longer apply.
0: Right, and that's why in the last episode we were discussing with Ian the organization called Women on Waves, which can offer legal abortions for women in countries where national legislations prohibit them.
1: Exactly, and this law of the sea further established that although national territory ends after those 12 nautical miles, this so-called exclusive economic zone stretches 200, uh, 200 nautical miles offshore.
0: So essentially, international waters start 12 nautical miles offshore, however the fisheries resources in the first 200 nautical miles offshore belong to the respective state. And so maybe some of you have heard about this in the news recently, but there are some examples of the consequences of this 200 miles EEZ rule. For example, recent reports have shown how Chinese fishing trawlers encroach upon the EEZ of the Galapagos Islands. This armada of ships just stays outside this 200 miles mark fishing in these fish-abundant waters.
1: And unregulated international waters are just the tip of the iceberg of all different challenges regarding unlawfulness on the seas.
0: Exactly. It's even hard to fathom the challenges entailed, actually, and this somewhat permissive, fast-paced, and obscure environment has enabled organized crime out at sea to thrive. This ranges from piracy to armed robbery, migrant smuggling, drugs, firearms and human trafficking, fisheries crime, oil bunkering, etc. All of these crimes exist out at sea and are often intertwined, drawing upon the vulnerabilities created by each other. The issue is that it is extremely challenging for law enforcement officials to effectively patrol the oceans, for authorities to clearly identify, delineate, and respect borders, and for crimes which occur so far from land to be prosecuted, and it requires extensive human and financial resources." And this is not to mention the size of fishing vessels themselves, the complex and expedite nature of maritime trade and the reliance of local communities on illicit fishing for income. But we're going to get into the challenges facing the criminal justice system a bit later on. First, what are we referring to when we talk about illegality in the fishing industry?
1: Well, as you just said, there is a variety of crime out there and we ask later how best to categorize them. One common term to describe illegal fishing is IOU fishing. It refers to illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. IU fishing is a broad term that tries to encompass all activities related to illegal fishing, such as fishing a protected species, overfishing by ignoring quotas, fishing using illegal fishing methods, and so on. So IU fishing, Illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing is one area of illegality, but as later we'll point out, it relates only one category of illegalities. Let's have a listen.
2: How we started looking at it is by dividing three different categories of uh, of illegality in the fishery sector. Uh, the one the first one is of course IU fishing, which is the one that everyone is more familiar with. However, it's become really clear in the past and we have more and more cases showing us that there are uh, forms of uh, illegality that go beyond IU fishing that are different to it. They're very often connected to IU fishing, but they're not the same. And that's why we always speak about two additional categories, which is uh, one are the crimes associated with the fishery sector. Uh, and these are crimes that do not have a direct connection with, uh, with fishing or fishing operations per se. But they do take place on uh, on fishing vessels or in fishing facilities Um, and this is very often um, organized crime groups that uh, do want to use the fishing sector as a front and when we talk about uh, crimes an example is drugs trafficking or um, human trafficking even Um, and uh, these these are mainly crimes that sometimes have uh, have a connection to to the fishing for example a gray area here is human trafficking for the purpose of forced labor on on fishing vessels but mostly they're not directly connected to to fishes and there is evidence that there is more and more drug trafficking um on board of fishing vessels and there is many uh, organized crime syndicates that, that do use uh, fisheries as, as a front to cover other illegal activities. The other, acti- the other uh, category we, we discussed are the fisheries-related crimes. This is a range of uh, offenses that can occur at any point of the, of the fisheries value chain, and they are connected to the fishing operations. And this makes them different to the crime, the associated crimes with the fisheries sector. They can be corruption, fraud, forgery, tax crimes are some some of the fisheries-related crimes. They do extend into the whole ownership structures of, of the fisheries sector, but and, and not not only just with fishing um, operations per se.
0: So if I have understood correctly, there are three main categories of illegality in the fishery sector. IUU fishing, as we discussed, which is illegal, unregulated and unreported fishing. So illegal activities that are are directly linked to catching fish. Then we have crimes associated with the fishery sector, meaning the range of illegal activities in the fishery sector that are not directly linked to fishing operations. A classic example here I would think of would be piracy. It's a crime that takes place on the sea and vessels without being directly linked to fishing. And then finally, we have fisheries-related crime, which are crimes that are linked to fishing operations without being primary fishing activities. For example, as later pointed out, corruption and document fraud to obtain a fake fishing license, money laundering, etc.
1: Yeah, and today we will use our time to speak about illegality in our oceans in general. And in the upcoming episodes, we will look into detail into these three categories. Esther, something that I wondered is, to what extent is organized crime involved in such crimes? Is it organized crime or is it merely small opportunistic actors?
0: So actually, we um, asked later about this. And we also asked what extent there would be multinational companies involved in such activities.
2: Yes, there, um, there is increasing evidence that we are dealing with organized uh, crime and with uh, organized criminal syndicates. To, to understand it, we need to first look at the, the fishing as a, as a sector in itself, and we're dealing with a huge sector, which uh, has a great economic importance. Uh, we're talking about uh, billions and billions of, of dollars every year. And this means that we. this is an industry that is very, very attractive and very lucrative for organized criminal groups. And because we are dealing also with a very complex sector, it also requires a certain degree of organization and complexity to actually manage to operate in the system and to actually be successful in um, in committing these crimes or this, uh, these offences. If you ask about uh, the main actors, we have increasingly examples of multinational companies that are involved in such uh, activities. And for example don't know if you're familiar with uh, with a recent case in Namibia called the, the fish rod case, where high level officials in Namibia are currently accused and undergoing uh, a process in, in their country for fraud forgery and corruption linked to the fishery sector and this means that they received large amounts of bribes in order to to give certain fishing licenses to international companies and when you think about a situation like that you understand how big the impact it's really for developing countries and we are talking about countries where fishing is very important to the gdp where it's very important for the livelihood it's very important for employment for people and those affected are very often very vulnerable populations so yes we do we do have big companies that may be involved in such activities we also do have purely criminal syndicates and purely criminal groups that are involved in such activities. And this is mainly in the associated crimes aspect for those that do use it for, for drug trafficking and human trafficking. Those are purely organized crime syndicates. So I think this Namibia example
0: makes clear that corruption really is a cross-cutting issue that reappears in any type of organized crime activity. It enables and empowers organized crime groups to operate with impunity out at sea. The fishery sector is particularly vulnerable to tax crime, with widespread reports of frauds, profit or earnings, custom duties, VAT and social security. This tax revenue represents significant losses for developing countries, specifically on food security, poverty levels and financing long-term development.
1: Another issue in the fishery sector is the practice of flag of convenience. Essentially, a ship always needs to be registered with a country, the so-called flag state. Flags of convenience is the practice in that the owner of a ship can register his or her ship in any other country. So for example, a German merchant ship could legally fly an Ecuadorian flag, which makes the industry even more opaque and harder to regulate. And ships can even do flag hopping, meaning they can change the flags against paying a fee.
0: Yes, and actually I read in the BBC that this practice was first used by US ships during prohibition to circumvent regulation and ship alcohol via ships with a flag from Panama.
1: What, really? <laughs> Didn't know that.
0: Yeah, and even then, you know, it was used to avoid compliance. But back to later now to tell us more about other issues with prosecuting crime in the fisheries industry.
2: The main factor is definitely the fact that we are talking about a very global industry. There is a global nature of, of fishing. It's not localized like some other industries, for example, the diamonds, precious metals, And all countries somehow are involved in fishing, whether be it as uh, exporters or importers of fish. So this means that if we have illegality or if we have corruption in in one part of, of the industry or in one part of the value chain, the effects of it will be felt in all the different stages of the value chain and will be felt internationally, not only in the country where... Where this is happening. In addition, there is a lack of centralized regulation. We have around 150 coastal states and each of them decides how it regulates the fisheries industry in, in its exclusive economic zone. Another factor is that we are dealing with finite resources that are depleting very quickly which is one more incentive to make participants in this industry to want to engage in corruption or to want to engage in different types of fisheries crime because they feel that they are part of a very competitive market a very competitive field and they need to maximize their profit and when we look at the figures about what the percentage of the of the fish stocks that are currently overfished or fished above sustainable levels we see how how important that is and how this is uh, clearly having an impact on the actors in the sector and the last one that i would like to mention is connected to flags of convenience and that's the lack of uh, transparency. Uh, we do have countries that lack the resources to regulate their fishery sector, or countries that uh, decide to, to have very, very vague, very open uh, regulations for the fishery sector. They do have strong privacy laws sometimes that do protect the identity of the vessel owners, or um, the, the fisheries activities. And this makes these countries particularly attractive for operators that do want to engage in, um, in illegal fishing or in uh, other fisheries crime. And what they do is they go in these countries and they register their vessels there. This makes it very difficult to understand who the actual beneficial owner of the fishing is and this makes it also very difficult from a law enforcement perspective to be able to understand and to trace the illegalities or all the illegal fishing that may occur.
0: So in other words, organized crime groups exploit the vulnerability of criminal justice institutions, weak governance and lack of transparency to promote and perpetuate various forms of criminality on our seats.
1: Exactly, and really one approach that I like when talking about crimes is to map out the value chain of the product at hand. During our last episode, we already touched upon the fact how uh, illegal fishing impacts us as consumers. That is, in the first place, we get cheap fish, often without understanding what is behind it. So we asked later, what are the different stages of the value chain an illegally caught fish goes through before arriving on our plate?
2: We always discuss a simplified version of the value chain. And this can be grouped in six stages. And that's preparation, fishing, processing, landing, transportation, and sale. Each of these stages do involve different actors. They do involve different government authorities. And sometimes each of these stages occurs in different countries altogether. This is a very simplified version of the value chain. There are, of course different value chains depending on the the production techniques depending on the product qualities and so on while some of the stages like the preparation for example where we a company or a person undergoes the whole procedure of obtaining a license to, to fish in uh, specific waters for a specific quota to fish for a specified type of fish it registers the, the fishing vessels within the National Fishing Register, the equipment, the staff and all of that. While this is uh, very intuitively the first stage of the value chain. There are different stages that may occur in a different order, for example stages like sale or transportation may even be repeated several times and therefore the value chain can take many forms the stages are sometimes interchangeable but for the purpose of uh, of the discussion we simplified in the sixth uh, stages when it comes to to entry points for crime there are entry points at each of the stages Sometimes we even have more than one crime in one stage and sometimes we do have the same crime repeated in the various stages of the value chain. And this is what we see in some of the cases, for example, where we see that uh, corruption is very much present in the preparation phase, where where the all the, the vessel registration or the quotas are, are being decided. And this is particularly vulnerable to corruption. At the same time, we can have other types of crimes, such as uh, fraud, forgery, in, in completely different stages. In the sale stage, we also have a lot. We do have cases of mislabeling, which it's alarming if you look at the numbers and how 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 much of the fish that we actually eat is uh, mislabeled it, it's it's terrible to see but there are possibilities for crimes in each of the stages that uh, i discussed and contrary to the belief that everything occurs during fishing and that's where all the all the illegality lies we are in fact seeing illegality in the different stages as well. And in fact, sometimes even more than than during fishing.
0: So let's do a quick recap here. We saw how dependent we are on our oceans, but also on maritime trade. We discussed how organized crime groups abuse the vastness of our seas and gaps in international law to commit crimes that fall into the three categories of IUU fishing, fisheries-related crimes, and crimes associated with the fishery sector. So my final question to Leda is, what can we do about it, first from a criminal justice point of view, and second from a consumer's point of view?
2: From a criminal justice point of view, what we see is that there is a major lack of awareness or understanding on fisheries crimes and everything that is beyond IU fishing and very often national authorities of particularly in developing countries only look at IU fishing and this means that there is a lack of information on the role that other other government agencies can play in the country And these are the government agencies that are involved in the different stages, not in the fishing stage. We are talking about non-conventional actors, so it's not necessarily here the fishing, the, the fisheries department or the fisheries ministry. We are dealing with other actors that may not be involved in the fishing itself but they are involved in the somehow there's tax authorities that are very often involved we have the the anti corruption agencies that need to be involved also and all of these actors are very often not aware of of this approach of this way to look at it of the, of the of the importance of the value chain and making them aware on on the on this approach it's important because it not only helps them identify the entry points to identify the crimes that may be present in the sector, but also help them identify ways in which to address these crimes. And what are the entry points for law enforcement to address this crime? So this is very important. And this is connected to also the need to to have a multi multi-agency approach to this it needs to be coordinated at the national level and of course because we're dealing with with a complex global sector it needs to also be coordinated at the regional and international level this is key to make all the stakeholders understand this and another factor that it's important to to address this corruption, because there a lot of this is being fueled by corruption, and therefore understanding what the the weak points and what the what the major possibilities for corruption to occur in the whole value chain, it's it's very important to 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 address this other um, crimes as well. Um, and to answer to your second question on consumers, uh, what can be done from a consumer perspective, I think that um, it's, it's very important to, to understand where the fish that we eat comes from and uh, make sure that we are aware that very often this fish is either mislabeled or uh, illegally caught uh, somewhere in the world and sometimes very very ugly things are uh, are related to it such as uh, human trafficking forced labor and all of that and it's important to understand these issues and it's important to to make sure that uh, we as consumers can do the can do what we can to to avoid to be part of all this and if you read the the reports from different non-governmental organizations, uh, you read that in fact one of three fish very often uh, is mislabeled, and uh, one of three fish does come from IU fishing. So it's important to be educated um, on on this problematic and to also help raise awareness and to help authorities react. To, to, to this situation.
1: Thanks a lot, Leda, for speaking to us and thanks to everyone for tuning in. This is about all we had time for today. We know that the topic is quite complex, so we tried not to overload this episode and keep it more generic, but we promise that the next episode on Crimes on the Oceans will be more detailed and specific.
0: And if you would like to learn more about Leda's work, make sure to follow her on Twitter at Tochi and check out UNODC's publications rotten fish a guide on addressing corruption in the fishery sector you can find the links in the show notes
1: and as a final remark we will close this session again with a music contribution from the outlaw ocean music project and make sure to check out the entire reporting project on www.theoutlawocean.com take care and we hope you will tune in for the next episode as well see you soon Studying weather maps, yellow splotches
3: indicated winds over 45 miles per hour. Red patches showed those blowing more than 55 miles per hour. The chief mate said, it's okay to be in the mustard. We just need to stay out of the ketchup. For the next few days, it was pure ketchup. The ship swayed back and forth, listing 40 degrees and battered by 50-foot waves. Below deck, fuel sloshed in the tanks, splashing through ceiling crevices and filling the ship with diesel fumes. A plastic drum tethered to the wall broke free, coating the floor in vegetable oil that bled in the cabins below. Half the crew was seasick. It was like working on an elevator that suddenly dropped and climbed six stories every ten seconds. A coin inside a washing machine, a ping-pong ball in a bathtub, a driver in a demolition derby. Because you can't see much outside, you never quite know when the next wave is going to hit and how bad it will rattle the ship. So your imagination fills in the blanks. Hours of lying around your cabin can the boredom becomes a danger in itself.